You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS App Store and find one of our Locked On Rooms, Locker Room, changing the way we talk about sports. It's a Tuesday edition of Locked On Heat. I had some errors publishing the Monday recap of Miami's 107-98 victory over the Portland Trailblazers to kick off their four-game homestead. It was late. I didn't notice that I was actually setting it for the following day. And so when people woke up on Monday morning expecting to hear my dulcet tones and said they found nothing. So apologies for that. But the recap is in if you want to get a, a very tired interpretation of Miami's win there. But today's episode is a little different. I'll be talking a little bit about my Miami's backcourt concerns if they when they reach the postseason. And I'll also be answering some questions one of which is about a potential national media bias against the Miami Heat, something that I've addressed before and will probably address again. But I'll start off today's episode with perhaps the biggest concern for all of Heat Nation, the future of Victor Oladipo. An update has been provided of sorts by the Miami Herald's Barry Jackson, along with Ethan Skolnick, uh, both of them reporting that there is no new injury with Victor. That's Basically, what it comes down to is that it's nothing different than what he's already experienced. No pulled quad tendon, nothing like that. Nothing, a new tear, nothing of a a new aggravation or a new potential injury to a knee or anything like that. So if anything, it's more of a re-aggravation of some pre-existing condition, of which there are quite a few in the lower leg area for Victor Oladipo, unfortunately. So Barry actually also adds that the Heat haven't ruled out a return, but there's no timetable for a return either. So uh, not saying he's not going to be available for the rest of the season, but also not saying he's going to be available. Not a great place to be for the team, for Victor, for all of you listening, because, well, I mean, there was a lot of optimism there. Prior to that injury against the Lakers, he played his best game in a Miami Heat uniform. His shot was falling. The defense was there. He looked aggressive. Looked like he was going to be the perfect complement to Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler and a new reinvigorated version of Duncan Robinson. Unfortunately, I'm not sure he's going to be available later on. He's gotten the team's blessing for other opinions. So the initial diagnosis or MRI, look, there was an x-ray that was taken late after the Lakers game. That was a negative result there. So no broken bones, no injury of that sort that could be viewed on an x-ray machine. An MRI didn't reveal any new damage, at least from what we're interpreting. I'm sorry, interpreting from these various reports. And uh, moving forward, he's looking to talk to other specialists about these injury issues and whether or not uh, there's something else there that he can't quite see. Look, there's a lot of One, I'm not a medical expert. Two, the team is pretty hush-hush about what's going on. Victor hasn't spoken to anything, anyone, uh, although I think Barry Jackson mentioned in a prior report that he spoke to TNT's Kenny Smith and said that he's not hurt, that he's fine, but he hasn't been available and he's not going to be traveling with the team for the four-game road trip, so he's clearly not fine. And if that's the case and there's no new injury, I don't know that there is an injury per se, but just a sense, and this is me speculating here, 
and I will always add that and quantify what I'm about to deliver here. My feeling is that Victor gets a sense that something isn't quite right. And that's pretty understandable, given his history, the fact that he's played so infrequently over the last three seasons, and that he's had one injury suffered by another injury, and then recurring injuries and concerns. You know, that he wants to already take a, well, it'll it'll be a a four-game absence at the very least, you know, that he's not going to be available on this road trip. That's a week, week and a half. That's a concern, and at least from my perspective, and I think for most of you too, because then he's already saying, well, if I can sit out a week and a half in a compressed season like this, then I don't know that he's ready, willing, and able to come back anytime soon. Is there something psychological here, perhaps? Is it pain? Possibly. You know, these are simple questions to ask, but that's all we have to work with. Now, maybe he gets a sense that I'm scared of going back out there. Perfectly within his rights to feel that way, too. I know a lot of you, and in the, the whole conversation in general about sports and athletes is suck it up, buttercup. You know, go out there and take the punches and everything else. But this is a guy who's missed most of the last three years of basketball because of various injuries. He can't just go out there. It's inhumane to ask him to go back out there. The Heat's not even asking him to go back out there, at least not yet. And that's also another interesting wrinkle in this whole situation that's taking place. Not to an injury, a Victor Oladipo situation, as John Crotty would likely say. Because the comparison was made by Barry, and it was one that I was thinking of right away when he mentioned or reported that they were giving him a full blessing to seek other opinions. It's very different than the Justice Winslow situation. (laughs) Shout out Crotty. It was... You know this whole back and forth between him and the team, where they were saying, "Nah, he's fine. He's he's got a little bone bruise," and he's saying, "No, I think it's much more severe." And then they got pissed off at it. They got pissed off at his evaluation, at his wanting to seek other external opinions that he doesn't trust the team. That they were trying to rush him back out there. That sense that he was getting something similar to what they did with Dion Waiters too, where he said, "No, I don't really feel comfortable going out there. I've got this lasting ankle injury here." I'm going to need surgery. They said, no, you don't need surgery. You're fine. Go out there and play and and get your money. Earn your money. And he did, and he wound up needing surgery. Just as Winslow wound up missing a significant amount of time, even after he was traded to the Memphis Grizzlies. And now they're apparently have learned their lesson. Why are they taking a backseat here? Why are they okay with him seeking other opinions, unless it's something probably a little bit more severe than they're letting on? Now, again, I'm reading all into this. I'm reading into this completely. And for Victor, the obvious concern is staying healthy before he gets paid this summer. If he risks additional injury, he's done being viewed around the league as a big-time player. Like, he'll eventually come back and work his way back, and he could be a you know the kind of guy that you view as a 15-point-per-game scorer off the bench or something like that, but you'll never trust him again. He's no longer slam-dunk uh, champion or slam dunk competitor Victor Oladipo, the guy who can slash and cut and, and rise, and we saw that in the Lakers game. So we know that those things are still there, but the general view on him won't be positive. I don't know that the Miami Heat would want to offer him a free agent contract if he winds up sitting out the rest of the season, and and if worst case scenario he winds up coming back and reaggravating the injury. So if, if he he can show that sitting out for a month or the rest of the season is in his best interest, 
there's a chance of making some money. Maybe, again, it won't be from Miami, but at least he can keep his health, keep his sanity, continue to work on his game and say, you know what, I'm punting the rest of the season. That's not what you all want to hear. I don't, I'm not reporting that this is a possibility. I'm saying from his perspective, I know that's what I do. If I'm getting paid this season regardless, and it's a big chunk of money, and by going out there and taking on the next, you know, being a part of the next, what, 13, 17 games that he'll be a part of after this road trip is over, and I could risk injury and lose a lot of my health, more time, and certainly an opportunity to cash in as a free agent, and all I have to do is sit out the next 17 games and the pay playoffs, hell yeah, I'd do it. I think all of you would too. So I don't see what the incentive for him is to come back. Well, if the incentive you know, for him to sit out is the possibility of a free agent contract from Miami or elsewhere, if he comes back and shows out, then the reality is that Miami will offer him a lot of money and they'll re-sign him. And if not Miami, then other suitors will come around saying, okay, this is more like the Victor Oladipo we remembered. Yes, we have injury concerns, We'll get you checked out by our doctors, by our specialists, and you can still play and contribute, and, and we'll pay you. You know, the days of a $30 million a year contract are never going to happen for Victor again. Unfortunately, he didn't take the extension with Indiana when he had that chance, and now he's just never going to get paid that way. It's about where on the spectrum of salaries does Victor wind up getting paid by Miami, by any other team, whether or not he's ever healthy again to – consistently come out there and contribute and produce for a team. I This is the risk you take, and I know Miami knew fully, fully what they were getting into. But they have to be a little concerned about what his future is with his team. I guess for them, maybe it could be a win-win situation, right? Like, you know, if he doesn't play for us, well, we didn't know what we were getting out of, say, Kelly Olenek and Avery Bradley. We weren't going to get enough out of them to, to, you know, change the or raise the ceiling on this season. The ceiling wasn't going to come down to Kelly making his three-point shots or Avery Bradley's three-point defense. So you didn't risk much of anything. But you were hoping that you could raise that ceiling by acquiring Oladipo. And we saw and have seen evidence of that over the last few games since he's joined the team. Now you go in there and your chances of competing in the postseason are a little less than they were before, assuming he does wind up sitting out the rest of the season. Look, I, that's my feeling. Again, from his perspective, why would I come back? Whether it's psychological, physical, a combination of both, and it's likely a combination of both, what's the, what's the point for him? Like, I know as fans, you all want him to be able to go out there and say, I'm willing to sacrifice it all. Why would we want him to sacrifice it all? For the chance to potentially go up against the Brooklyn Nets in the Eastern Conference Finals? I mean, maybe? Maybe it helps? Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't even make that much of a difference. I still think that this Miami team with Jimmy and Bam, if they're capable of playing at their very best, certainly their ceiling is fairly high, and I think they could you know, capture lightning in a bottle just like they did last season. I think defensively they can be good enough to stop a Brooklyn team. It, look, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's certainly going to be a challenge. But is it worth that risk for Victor? I don't see it. So I, I can't say that my feeling is that he won't come back. Hopefully I'm wrong and that he'll just never wind up getting injured again. But I would hate for him to come back because of the the pressure being put on him by fans, by the organization, by anybody, by his agent, 
saying, yeah, come back. Come back from injury maybe a little bit sooner than you'd like and risk another long-term injury that's going to further hamper your life, your livelihood, your chances of making some money. I, I mean, again, if you have to stack the, the pros and cons of a situation for Victor, I don't see any reason why he would come back this season. Just to help, you know, push Miami a little bit further into the Eastern Conference playoff race. Right now, they can still wind up being a top four seed in the East. They can still wind up knocking off any of the top three teams, I think, if everything stays along the same lines as what they were. I don't know that Victor is necessarily going to want to risk his livelihood just to be a part of that run. It's a challenging situation for everybody involved. I mean, for Victor, the decision can't be easy. The Heat are in a tough spot right now, of course, wanting to maximize as much as they can as Jimmy of Jimmy Butler's tenure here in Miami. I just don't know that there's an easy answer there. Perhaps you you know are willing to punt this season, even from the franchise's perspective, just so you can bring back Oladipo next year and have, I think, the formation of a title contending team. We'll see how it goes. I'll talk about what's left for Miami to do if Victor Oladipo does not wind up returning this season. I'll break it all down for you before I get into some listener questions here on Locked on Heat. But first, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Locker Room. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room, the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download. Once you're in, you can talk with anybody, fans, athletes, insiders, in real time about your favorite team or sport. Locker Room is a perfect place to start or join conversations about the NBA. You'll find fans just like you on Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and, of course, reacting to big news or rumors. You can even find locked-on hosts across the NBA, Major League Baseball, and NHL. I'll be joining the app soon, so be sure to get started, and I'll meet you there. Go download the free Locker Room app, now currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the Miami Heat group for the latest league updates. I know you will find a ton of incredible rooms around your favorite team. I can't wait to join you all, like I said before. I'll be sure to let you know once the Locked On Heat Room is live. Download the Locker Room app today. Locker Room, changing the way we talk about sports. Talk about a game changer. How about a family-owned business that's been changing the way you order auto parts for 20 years? Why go into a store, like a, a you know a chain store, and order parts on a computer, uh, having a salesperson pick out the parts for you? You've got access to computers on your phone, and they're easy-to-use website. So great, very functional, great to navigate. You get the parts you need. You save money because their low prices are the same for everybody, and it's just quickly delivered safely to your door. So why go anywhere else? RockAuto.com has been helping customers, like I said, for 20 years. Their low prices are the same for everybody. Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car truck. Then go to the section that says, how did you hear about us? And write locked on so I know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car or truck will ever need. That's RockAuto.com. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with a Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. So, here's a question nobody wants to ask. If no Victor Oladipo, what happens to Miami's backcourt? And it's a tough one. We saw in Sunday's game against the Portland Trailblazers, the right choice for Eric Spolstra was Kendrick Nunn, and he wound up playing a great, efficient game overall, effective driving to the hoop, solid defense, contributing, making plays for others. Really good, solid game for Kendrick. Unfortunately, I just don't know how much you can depend on that moving forward. You know, in the bubble last year, and I keep coming back because 
while we've got one season of Jimmy Butler-led teams with Bam Adebayo at an all-star level to compare to, and that's last year. So it's about the supporting cast around those two players. I expect Jimmy, who's been playing at an MVP level over the last couple of weeks, months, whatever, to continue producing at the same level he has and possibly even raising it up to another point. He's established himself as one of the top 15 players in the league, maybe even top 10 in some circles. And I think he's just been absolutely dominating and doing everything he possibly can. Bam has been perfectly complimentary of him too. But what else is there on this roster? We're starting to get more and more production out of Trevor Ariza. Tyler Hero has found his form. I think Duncan Robinson, finally the pressure of the trade deadline coming off. He's really been incredible over the last few weeks since the trade deadline passed. But there are questions about that backcourt, and I don't know that there are easy answers. You're not going to sign anybody, even if Victor winds up taking uh, you know, the, the rest of the season off. So you're building around Kendrick, Goran Dragic, and Tyler Hero. Of those three, I, I have to assume that even Spolstra would wind up keeping Kendrick in the starting lineup. So maybe it's a somewhat anticlimactic response to the question about what do you do now, but I think even Spo has to wind up just holding the course. And it's unfortunate because this time last year or around this point in time, you know, right before the playoffs, you could have entertained the notion of Goran Dragic starting. I didn't think he was going to do it, and he wound up proving me wrong. I'm talking about Eric Spolstra because he wound up starting him and putting Jay Crowder in and taking Myers Leonard out of the starting lineup. And, it, of course, it worked. But I don't know that this version of Goran Dragic is the same one that you're going to get. The same one that you can get in the playoffs, the same one that you got last year in the playoffs. I keep making that same point, but it's the reality. Is with every game, I just don't know that Goran is going to be effective any longer. I just don't know that he's going to be able to contribute. He can't drive to the hoop. His shot is somewhat inconsistent. He'll have a big game. Of that, I have no doubt. He's just too hes just too damn tough, to be honest with you. Like He'll keep fighting through it and figure a way to have a productive night, one that will remind you of quote-unquote classic Goran. He did it earlier this season with that 20-point fourth quarter against the Chicago Bulls, who, by the way, have not successfully integrated Nikola Vucevic into their roster like they have lost a bunch of games of late they're eight games under 500 and i have legitimate concerns about whether or not they'll make the playoffs who cares right go listen to lockdown bulls if you want that kind of take as far as miami is concerned you're kind of stuck with what you've got you know jay crowder gave you another level last year could it be trevor ariza stepping up his game in the playoffs you're not going to start andre iguodala that's for sure I just don't think Tyler supplants Kendrick Nunn as a better option as a starter either. You're going to need some bench scoring if Goran continues to be somewhat inconsistent as he continues to fight through this season. I just don't see a world where Kendrick winds up losing his job completely. Gabe Vincent isn't the answer either. I like Gabe as a you know break glass in case of emergency sort of option because we've seen him be productive. Defensively, solid. Offensively, eh. Capable of hitting the shot anyway. But right now, there aren't a lot of good options for this Heat team. So you're looking at potentially, you know, going in there with some glaring weaknesses in the backcourt. Ones that were resolved with the addition of Goran Dragic. I think they were hoping to run it back similarly to what they did last year. That they could bring Goran back as a starter, have him play alongside Duncan, Trevor slash New Crowder, Jimmy, and Bam. 
unfortunately, it doesn't look like that's going to be the option for Goron. Now, of course, I'm sorry, I, I, and I misspoke here because obviously they couldn't have run it back. If if Victor was in the lineup, it wouldn't have mattered at all. I think they would have capped out that moving forward with Victor starting because he provide he's Kendrick times 10, you know, somewhat. Capable of slashing, better defender, better playmaker overall. So with Goron there, I, I mean, I just he's coming off the bench. He's going to continue to come off the bench. And I just don't know that Miami has any other options right now. So you're going to have to move forward that way. And hopefully he'll be able to take some time off in between now and the postseason because I think he needs that time off. And then, of course, there's the risk of him getting somewhat rusty and not being able to bounce back and perhaps aggravating injury further. You know, he's at that point in his career where the, the, the tough questions need to start being asked. And, you know, the fact that he came back has given me pause for his level of self-awareness. You know, I've mentioned it before. So if you don't agree with that perspective, I, I would be curious to hear why. But my feeling is that Gorn is, at this point, at this stage in his career, still thinking he can contribute at a high level, even when the numbers and the production shows otherwise. But I did want to talk a little bit about the perceived national media bias against the Miami Heat because uh, one of our listeners asked me about it, and I get lots of questions about it specifically, and so I wanted to make sure I bring it up at some point. So I'll talk about that next on Locked on Heat. If you're looking to make a little extra money, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA and NHL and Major League Baseball are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards on TV shows, reality TV, real time updated odds and props, and almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKED ON. More analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA Draft with a Locked On NBA Draft podcast. Scouting reports, draft rumors, and mock drafts four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Follow the Locked On NBA Draft podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. So this first question comes in from Dakota. He had sent it in prior to the Blazers game, but I wanted to include it here. You notice how Kelly Olenek and Derek Jones Jr. are playing a lot different than when they were in Miami. Was Eric Spolster's system holding their talents back? I haven't watched KO, to be honest with you. Like, I've seen some of the production, but I haven't caught a Rockets game specifically to see how he's been integrated into uh, Steven Silas's new game plan there. Like, I, I just, I don't particularly ascribe to this. Without having watched what Spolster does or enough of what Derek Jones Jr. does, I, I just don't know that I want to blame Eric Spolstra for limiting their production. I think this specific question got a response on Twitter that, yes, Spo is too rigid and is limiting his players. I think you can make the argument in both cases. If you're, you know, if you're a player, a journeyman like Derrick Jones or even a guy like Kelly who has shown historically inconsistent levels of play, a team like Miami and a coach like Eric Spolstra, similarly to what the San Antonio Spurs has been able to do throughout Greg Popovich's tenure, is be able to maximize what you do. They find a way. The best coaches in the league 
will find a way to bring out your greatest strengths and mitigate or hide your weaknesses. They both Spolstra and Popovich have done that throughout their tenures. I don't know any other coaches that do it as well, although you could probably give a nod to Rick Carlisle in that regard. But overall, again, for Spolstra, I think he's just wound up finding ways to get the best out of these guys. Now, look, Derek Jones Jr., I don't know if he just had a strong performance. He didn't really have a particularly strong performance against Miami. But overall, he's showing some flashes there. I don't think Terry Stotts is necessarily unlocking anything about uh, Derek's offensive potential, although he did wind up hitting a floater that I wound up marveling at. I don't think he we saw that from him in his three years in Miami. I just don't – I don't know. I think, look, players evolve. Players grow. They try new things. I think Stotts is a good coach who wound up connecting with Derek and saying, look, yeah, try something different. Why not? You have that leverage here. You're playing with C.J. McCollum and – you know, Dame Lillard, two guys that command the respect of defenses around the league in a way that I don't think any of Derek's teammates here in Miami did. Like, Duncan's a great shooter, historically great. Jimmy's a fine player, but I don't know that defenses are keying in to stop Jimmy Butler the same way they do C.J. McCollum and Dame Lillard. That's no knock on Jimmy, but those two are great offensive players. And so I think you can try different things. KO is putting up big numbers because, well, who the hell else is on that Rockets roster? They're not winning games just because he's putting up points. He's just, he's got the green light. He's a free agent. What else are you going to do? You know, you've got to prove to either the Rockets or the other 2019, 28 teams, 27 teams, if you just you know, discount Boston and Miami. But other than that, I think Olenek's playing for a future with the Toronto Raptors, to be honest with you. He's a perfect fit there. Really. I, I think he would be a great fit there. I think it'd be a, a nice story for a Canadian player to return to Canada, hopefully, if the Raptors can travel back to Toronto and, and the NBA players can travel back and forth. I don't, I don't know. I don't know where they're going to be next season. I don't know where the world is going to be at next season, considering everything we've seen over the last year. Uh, <laughs> any kind of projections seem, well, really short-sighted. But, uh, I again, I think Spolstra probably doesn't want you to do some things, but he also wants you to do what you do well and to do that as often as you possibly can. That's why he yells at Duncan Robinson to shoot. Can Duncan do other things? If he had played somewhere else, absolutely. But would he have turned into, uh, you know, the kind of historically good shooter that we saw him be last year anywhere else? Probably not. So, yin and yang, there's a balance there. And I think mostly it shifts in Spolstra's favor. Like, yes, maybe he quote unquote limits a player like Derek or KO. But he also gets Duncan to be a ridiculously good player that's going to get paid a ridiculously good amount of money. So I'm willing to accept it, and I think most of you will be too. So this one comes in via email from James. It's a long question, so bear with me here. I'm a Heat fan since the NBA announced the team was coming, and I'm loving the podcast. Thank you, James. I have a theory on a topic that you've mentioned several times. It's the national media bias or general dislike of the Heat. My theory is fairly simple. The traditional powers of the NBA are genuinely threatened, especially in the media center of New York, where they still consider themselves the basketball mecca. All evidence to the contrary. Of course, the departure of Pat Riley and his subsequent success plays into this, but the numbers show that this upstart franchise is trying to take a place in the pantheon above others, so-called story franchises who simply cannot produce. Since the Heat became an expansion team in 1988, they have been to the final six times. Only three other teams have done this since 1988, the Lakers, Bulls, and Spurs. That's simply remarkable. Now, why no hate for the Spurs? I think it's because they are a small market and not viewed as a threat 
to the way an attractive market like Miami is. Look at the other teams that joined the league around the same time. Orlando, Minnesota, Charlotte. Two funnels appearances between them. So the powers that be see the storied franchises of the NBA of L.A., Boston, New York, Chicago. But in reality, Miami has joined and surpassed some of those teams. They've built a recognizable franchise worldwide. Plus, they've made it to the finals with three different teams, which really sets them apart. The league is simply having trouble coming to grips with the fact that Miami is probably in the top three of NBA franchises by almost any calculation. It's a hard truth for many, but the numbers don't lie. Keep the podcast coming. Well, thank you, James, first and foremost, for listening to the show, and I appreciate the shout-out. I am glad that you enjoy the the podcast, and yes, I will absolutely keep them coming. But, man, what a question. I, You know, right away, I have to say, you're absolutely on point regarding Miami's success over the last, what, 20, 32 years now? They are historically a very good franchise. They have been building in the right way for a long time now. And it all started in 1995 with the acquisition of Pat Riley. That has set them apart from other franchises. They have brought stability. I keep, I have mentioned this before. So I don't know if you've heard it specifically, James. I've, other of my listeners have mentioned it. But something that stood out to me from my conversations with Solomon Hill last year, who was having great success in Atlanta, is that when he joined Miami, he was startled by how much stability there was. Like people who had joined the team 10 years ago and they were viewed as somewhat. Uh, you know, neophyte around the around the, the franchise because there were people who had been here like Riley for 25 years, you know, that he brought in a, a, a new way of doing things, a stability, a culture that gets talked about a lot but has proven to be very successful. So I, I don't know that they're viewed as a threat around the league. I think Miami absolutely gets their their due. I think most media people view Pat Riley as a successful, you know, team official, as a general manager type, as a guy who can build teams. I think you, Eric Spolstra, absolutely gets a lot of recognition as a great coach, and I think the players on this team have absolutely gotten that kind of accolades and, and success and recognition as great individual players. So I, I don't necessarily see a national media bias. Now I've seen some of it. Maybe on ESPN. I, look, this is a hot topic. Fans are always going to be sensitive to their teams. And the reason why I wanted to bring up James' question is not only did he take the time to write the fantastic question and point out some great statistics here, but also because I get lots of questions in here throughout a week, almost on a weekly basis, I get a question about, well, why do the refs hate Miami? Why, why is Jimmy Butler so unpopular? You know, Why is uh, this player hated by the league? I think that's just the way fans will always feel about their teams. It's this us-against-them mentality, right? You guys view yourselves as part of this team. You love this team. You bleed red and black, just like Alonzo Mourning did 20-something years ago, just like all the players that have come through the the Heat's franchise. And, and, well, I mean, you love all of them, even the guys that you hate, like Deion Waiters and Kelly Olenek. I think you always want to see them succeed. I always, You always want this team to, to be its best, and you always want everybody to just love this team as much as you do. That's not going to happen, you know? For one, I think national media members typically tend to be free of bias. Do they have their favorites? To some degree, yes. I just don't, I don't think it's as noticeable as everybody likes. I don't, I don't as everybody thinks. I, I, I don't think Charles Barkley is actively rooting for the Boston Celtics over the Miami Heat. He might just not see, you know, the same things a lot of people don't see, which is that there's not a clear 
hierarchy of superstardom on this franchise. As great as Jimmy's been, he seems like a guy who's worked very hard to get everything he wants and is not viewed as the kind of just explosive superstar that guys like Anthony Davis or even a Dame Lillard or Steph Curry is. You know, and, and look, Curry gets a lot of the same crap that that a lot of people give towards Miami, you know, for being a a, a a guy who shoots threes, for changing the league the way it's evolved over the last few seasons, for being a guy who just takes three-point shots. Oh, you know, there's a lot of criticism that goes in Steph's way that's totally undeserved. As a generational player, a foundational player, a guy who's changed the league for the better and forever. Like, there are very few players like that. You could go to Jordan, Wilt Chamberlain, Dr. J, Kareem, maybe LeBron, you know, as an extension of what Magic Johnson had set before, maybe Magic to another degree too. But I, off the top of my head, and I like to think of myself as being a guy who knows NBA history. Okay, you could go back to George Mikan and then Elgin Baylor after that. But even Baylor didn't get the props he deserved. You know, unfortunately, Baylor having passed away recently, a lot of people finally recognizing his incredible impact in the game. But more often than not, I don't think he's viewed as that kind of, you know, league-changing player. But he, he certainly should be included in that group. But, you know, I don't I don't know that Jimmy's viewed as a, a superstar. And so I, it's just when you look at what Miami does and how they do it, it could get a little tiresome. You know, the, the whole talk about culture and the work ethic and the grit and everything else. Like, you know, 29 other teams work hard, too. But Miami's found a way to make it their brand and to sell it. And they probably do things a little differently and a little harder than most of the other teams around the league. Are 29 other teams giving body fat tests regularly? No. Has that been really overly exaggerated? I think so, too. I just, I think they are viewed as a good franchise. I, I think the market conversations are pretty legitimate. And I, I, you know, you know, you see enough people, pundits in and out of the league who say, as the, if the Knicks are successful, then the league is is better overall. And the Lakers championship, if nothing else, showed that Lakers fandom is pretty international. Stupid, but international. You know, there are millions of people that love the Los Angeles Lakers and believe them to be a great, you know, franchise. When, in fact, they have not been. They've succeeded. They've won a lot. They've had a lot of good players there. And they play in Los Angeles. They're, like I, I made a point in the most recent episode of Lockdown NBA about the buyout market and uh, whether or not big teams were crushing small market teams on, in the buyout market. I don't think so. I, I think you know players went to the Lakers and and to the Brooklyn Nets like Lamarcus Aldridge and didn't go to I don't know Oklahoma City or Chicago or some Midwestern team. That doesn't get a lot of publicity, not because they're a small market, but because they're not particularly good. And if you want a chance to win a championship like Aldridge does, you go there, you go to Brooklyn, or you consider, you know, the Lakers like Andre Drummond did. Hell, Gorgie Jeng went to San Antonio, and that's not exactly a large market team. You know, nobody joined Portland other than Norm Powell, who was acquired in a trade there. And that's not, I'm forgetting somebody off the top of my head, but I think they did actually acquire somebody via uh, a free agency there. And look, Milwaukee, they had Austin Rivers join them. They had uh, Jeff Teague join them. There are other teams. There are other options there. Other players at this. It's just, the I got some criticism via Twitter or iTunes. I can't remember now which one it was. 
somebody left a comment saying, oh, you totally overlooked the fact that Portland and Milwaukee and Utah get screwed over. It's like, well, first of all, Utah's a pretty deep roster that has the best league record right now. So they're okay. You don't have to worry about them too much. As far as Milwaukee, well, they did get some players. You know, and if nobody wanted to join Portland, it's because nobody saw Portland as a legitimate contender. It's not because it's a shitty team or because it's a small market. Portland's a fantastic city that a lot of NBA players love. It's just, you know, maybe if you're 25 or 35 in LaMarcus Aldridge's case and you want to compete for a title one last time, maybe you're not going to take that chance in Portland. And this is the perspective that, that kind of leads me to, you know, tying up with James's question here is that as a fan of your team, you always want everybody to agree with what you have to say about your team. And I don't think that's quite fair or realistic either when it comes to coverage of the NBA or even of the Miami Heat. I try to be pretty biased. I'm sorry. (laughs) I try to be pretty free of bias. And uh, sometimes I wind up being successful at it and sometimes I don't. Like, you know, the playoff run re-energized a lot of what I loved about this team because of Jimmy's personality and the way he carried this group of Goran success of Bam finding ways to be the best version of himself and on and on and on. Uh, it was a fun, fantastic team to cover and watch. But overall, I'd say that I try to remove myself because I want to give you all the kind of information that you need and deserve. You know, if you want to hear me say, you know what, you're right, the refs suck ass. <laughs> This is probably not the right podcast for you. I appreciate you listening, and I hope you continue doing so. But I'm never going to really think that there's a national media against the Heat. Now, I will say that ESPN's coverage can be a little lopsided. You have to know where your bread is buttered, and it's with superstars. It's not with Bam Adebayo. It's not with Tyler Hero. It's not with Goran Dragic or Trevor Ariza or Jimmy Butler. Like, Butler's a fine player, but I think he's still acerbic enough or viewed as being acerbic enough that you don't want to necessarily view him as a a fan favorite. I I don't know why. I think his marketing has changed dramatically over the last couple months or even the past year since he's joined the team. I think he more and more people are starting to see that there's multiple layers to who Jimmy is. And he's kind of peeling back the current a little bit. And I'm glad for it. I hope he winds up having enough success where he can continue to build his brand. And while he's viewed as somewhat tyrannical in his approach to basketball, it's paid off for him, so I have no problem with it. Now, there's also lots of things that he likes to do outside of basketball, too, and I think that's uh, that's good. It's good for showing a more complete and total per- package of the player and person that he is. So, anyway, that's my two cents about that subject. Thank you so much, James, for throwing in that question, and I'm sure I'll continue to get more about the perceived bias against the Heat in the future. But just a reminder that you can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskHelloHeat. Be sure to please subscribe to the show and leave a review. And special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting the show, and thanks to all of you. I'm David Ramil signing off.